0: Would you do me a favor and stand to your feet give jesus a hand clap for sending us the very best pastor frankie mazapica wow my goodness i love you guys i love you so much All right, well, why don't you guys go ahead and have a seat, and uh, I just want you to know uh, your pastor called me, I guess it was a few months ago, and asked, or a few weeks, maybe six or seven weeks ago, and asked me if uh, I was available, and I said, uh, yes, I am, and I didn't even check the calendar, didn't even look at the calendar, I'm just like, yes, I am available, yes, I am coming, because uh, I really, really love New Heights Church, because New Heights was not birthed like most churches are birthed. Um, A lot of times, churches are birthed by um, kind of uh, taking a piece of another church and and starting a church with a piece of another church. Have you ever heard of that before? Um, It's it's like one church starts with a hundred people, but there's another church that just um, uh, somehow or another, there are a hundred people less, You know, it's just like, oh, what a coincidence. Um, But, you know, your pastor and his his lovely wife, Crystal, Crystal, you just get prettier and prettier. Uh, There's just one part about you I'll never understand is what you see in him because anyway. uh, But they come out here and they start a church with no one. I mean, his mom and dad were like, okay, maybe we better move there, baby. They don't have anybody in their church. (laughs) Let's give them someone to preach to. Um, They came out here with nobody. And uh, I remember being at uh, Chipotle with uh, Pastor Brian, and he said, um, thinking about starting a church in in, in College Station. I said, do you have a worship leader? He said, no. I said, do you have a building? No. Do you know anybody there? No. (laughs) Well, let's rock and roll, baby. (laughs) And uh, that's just, I, I just love this place. You guys are four years old, and uh, you've been, uh, my favorite, this is a gorgeous building. This is a gorgeous facility. It's not my favorite though. It's the prettiest, it's the biggest, it's the nicest, but it's not my favorite. My favorite facility was your first facility. Was anybody there for that? Does anyone remember the first facility? I, 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 I think it, it was held together by duct tape and bubble gum and I remember parking my car in the parking lot and there were pit bulls like behind a fence that was like growling, I walked into the restroom to use the bathroom, I was like, I can hold it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not using, does anyone remember the restroom? Uh, when you guys moved out of there to the movie theater, I was like, thank God, cause I was not gonna visit again. I was not going to visit again. And now, it, you know, it took us five and a half years to get a, a church building. You guys got yours at three. Now, first of all, nobody likes a show off. But that is just amazing. So uh, I'm happy to be here because I, I really love you guys. Let me see who I'm talking to. Raise your hand if you were here the last time I spoke. Let me see. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, I just want to know who I'm talking to. And, uh, and let me say this. Um, uh, your, your pastor and I, we, we talk almost every day. If we don't talk every day, we text message every day. And, uh, you know, you just need to know that your pastor is a real man of God. He prays. He prays and he loves you. And uh, he, he's just the, the real deal. And uh, you know what I, I love about him is he didn't come to College Station needing anything. Um, you know, he, he owns three or four businesses, I don't know, maybe seven or eight by now. He's the most entrepreneurial guy I've ever met in my life. Um, you know, he, he didn't come here needing anything. He, he, uh, he doesn't need a salary from the church. I said this when I was here last time. I mean, he, he's, he's got companies that take good care of him and his wife. Um, I, I can promise you this: that that he, when he takes up the offering, he gives first, and he gives sacrificially. And uh, you, you just need to just feel comfortable with a pastor that's just here to give. He's not here to take. He's here to give. And uh, you know, there's a, a a popular saying out there that success leaves clues. And so when you find somebody that's successful in anything. They're, they leave clues, and, uh, and, and Pastor Brian has left clues on, on how he and his wife have been successful, but it's really odd because I thought he and I shared everything. Um, but it was, uh, I think it was last week, I was watching TV. It was like midnight, couldn't fall asleep, and uh, I was watching, you know, I can't even remember what it was. And all of a sudden, Pastor Brian comes on television, and I'm like, shut your mouth. I mean, I thought we shared everything. And uh, so I, I, I pulled down the, the show of Pastor Brian, and, and this is one of the clues of success that he was sharing on television. Uh, why don't you uh, take a look at this? Howdy. I'm, as you know, Pastor Brian Allen. And at most services, people are always coming up to me and they're asking, me, Pastor Brian, how do you get someone much ball- Like a beautiful, beautiful well, I'm here to tell you today, you know what I and Pastor Joel Osteen actually have in common? Other than of course, dynamic ministers, spirit-filled churches, and beautiful wives. Most importantly, what we have in common is a beautiful, luscious head, and the of Yes, folks, you heard it here first. These gold blocks uh, that Pastor Brian sports is a direct result of his. Success leaves clues, everyone, so now we know, now we know. I wish I could buy your anointed hair care, but God had other plans for me. It's all right. Uh, I absolutely, M- Matthew Godkin, it's great to see you, my friend. It is so good to see you. And, and Matthew Humphrey, Pastor Matthew, my goodness, and Tiffany, you guys are just amazing. It's so good to see you guys. All right. Uh, why don't you guys break out uh, something to write with? I'm going to give you a few points that I believe are going to really resonate uh, in your soul, in your heart. Uh, I love the theme of this weekend. Um, expecting God to do something good. I, I just I love that theme because the the expecting God to do something good uh, it just echoes that Jeremiah twenty nine eleven verse. You know where where God says I, I promise uh, to give you a hope in a future. Now it, the, the verse is much longer than that, but I just want to focus on the word. Hope in a future. Because when you hear that, I've always heard it, and I'm just like thinking to myself, uh, a hope. He's going to give me a hope. Now, that's fascinated me until I realized what hope means. Um, uh, Matthew, would you grab one of those folding chairs? I want to illustrate this. Because um, a lot of times... Uh, we, we can kind of have these seasons of life where um, life isn't exciting. Um, it's, it's not um, exhilarating. Um, but when, when God says, I'm going to give you a hope in a future, um, it, it's, it's this expectancy. Uh, whenever God says, I'm going to give you a hope, what he's saying is, is I'm going to give you an expectancy. Expectancy. And so whenever you're in a season of life and, and life is it kind of feels this way again, it just feels down. It feels like you're running in mud. It feels like things are not going well. You have no hope. Um, you have no expectancy. And so that's when depression sets in. That's when you get discouraged. See, we have this, all of us, have this internal clock where we expect to be at a certain place at a certain time of life. And we have these little markers. So you can back up at 20 years old and, and expect to be here, or 40 years old, you expect to to your life to look like this or that. And then when you hit 60, you expect for your life to look like this. And inevitably, for most of us, I'm one of them, you hit those those markers and you look around and you go, I wasn't expecting this to not be going well. I was expecting it to be going better. Like for me, I, wasn't, I was expecting to have luscious curls like Brian Hallam. I wasn't expecting this. And so when, when God says, I'm going to give you a hope and a future, what's happening is, is he's saying this. I see you looking around. I see you measuring your life. I see the places that you're disappointed. Inside, you're sitting like this. But I'm going to give you a glimpse of what I have planned for you. And so now you're going to have this sense of expectancy. This sense of excitement. So you're not sitting in life like this. You're sitting in life like this. You're excited because you got a glimpse and so, when the Bible says that I will give you a hope and a future, He's saying, I'm going to cause you to be excited about your life. For anyone here that is not excited about your life, you can back up and say, I need expectancy. I, I need that, and so the theme really resonates with me because it's saying I uh, I expect God to do something good, and so anytime you don't expect Him to do something good, that means that your hope is low. And we come to God and we say, "Look, I, I need you to lift my hope up." And when God begins to lift your hope up, you begin to feel something on the inside of you start to raise your expectancy. So I want to talk a little bit about this thought right here. Um, The dancing daughters. So if you're taking notes, title your notes, The Dancing Daughters. Um, You know, any time you decide that I think I'm going to give Jesus a shot. I think I'm going to give church a shot. I think I'm going to start going back to church. I'm going to start getting more serious about my relationship with God. Any time that happens, hell gets furious. Hell gets furious. Did you guys see the, the Aggie game um, last Saturday? Um, it, and I can't remember what quarter it was in. It might have been the third quarter, it might have been the second quarter, I can't remember. Um, but um, who, who were we playing? I forgot. Were we, Arkansas, Arkansas. Arkansas was in the red zone twice. They could spit into the end zone and get, sorry. <laughs> they could spit into the end zone. How many of people already know what I'm talking about, okay? This happened not once, twice. They down, set, blue, 42. And they do this with their foot. I don't know what that means, but two, 42. And, and Arkansas tried to get in. What did, did I tell you they could spit into the end zone? The Aggies put out some meat, like Goliath's cousins or something. They came out. And went 0 for 4 twice. They stopped them. I could not believe what I was seeing. The defensive line for the Aggies were stopped. They couldn't get one yard. I was like, shut your mouth. I couldn't believe. They couldn't get one yard both times. And so the Aggies, basically, they just realize they're in the red zone. And so they're putting extra muscle because they're so close to scoring a touchdown. Anytime you say, you know what, I I think I'm going to get more serious about God. They start putting extra muscle on you. Why? You're in the red zone. They start putting extra muscle. Now you say, Frankie, this just sounds like a a, a football metaphor. No, no, no. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, Paul says this. Because of the door of opportunity that is before me, an enemy has formed. Oh my goodness, there's a, a door of opportunity. There is something. Watch this. There is something happening in the spirit. I can't see it. I don't know what it is. But because of that good thing happening in the spirit, I can see there is an enemy that is forming against me. See, sometimes we can reverse engineer that thought by saying this, Why is all hell breaking loose in my life? Has anyone ever thought that? There Now I'm preaching good, right? Amen. Preach, brother. The hair commercial was good, but now you're preaching. All hell is breaking loose. You can reverse engineer that thought by thinking, if all hell is breaking loose, if there's an enemy that's forming itself against me, then clearly a door of opportunity must be before me. Usually we see the enemy before we see the door. So, anytime that happens, these dancing daughters come into our life. Anytime there's a door of opportunity, these dancing daughters. Anytime there's an opportunity where we begin to build some spiritual momentum, these dancing daughters. And, And what are dancing daughters? I'm so glad you asked. Look at the person next to you and say, You look good tonight. You look good tonight. And I look at him and say, you want to spend the night tonight? <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey. <laughs> so, Andy, y'all want to have some fun tonight or what? I love Larry's looking at me like, duh, duh, duh. I don't know where you're going with this, buddy. <laughs> what am I talking about right now? Dancing daughters, see? Huh? All right, so what are dancing daughters? Dancing daughters are these opportunities, these, these, these enemies that are formed against us to distract us and discourage us. When doors of opportunity are presenting themselves, when you are building spiritual momentum, when you decide, I'm going to go to church every Sunday unless I'm out of town. When you start doing that, dancing daughters, enemies come before you. It just happens. Dancing daughters are enemies. They come before you and, and they begin to distract and discourage. That's their primary goal. Dancing daughters distract and discourage. Let me tell you a, a story. There was a guy named King Herod. And uh, King Herod uh, did not believe in God. Um, but there was a preacher that liked to preach in the desert. And um, uh, anytime he'd be out preaching, uh, King Herod would go listen to him. So King Herod one day was was out there and he's just standing at a distance. Because if you're too close, people will think that you know you believe what the preacher is preaching. And so you kind of sit back and... And, and nowadays, people sit towards the back just in case the preacher is boring. They can slip out. See, I know what y'all are up to back there. He's boring. Okay, one, two, three. Let's get out of here. One, two, three. Okay. But, so King Herod would show up and he would listen to this preacher preach. He didn't really believe. He kind of believed. He wasn't sure. He just enjoyed listening to him. The preacher's name was John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist really had like one message. You know, if you come to church here, Pastor Brian has to come up with two messages every single week. John the Baptist had one message, and he preached the fire out of it. The message was, Jesus is coming. The Son of God is coming. He didn't call Him Jesus, but he said, The the Son of God is coming. Repent. That was his only message. His only message was repent, 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 repent. That was his only message. One day King Herod was standing back there and John the Baptist pointed at him. He said, you. Everybody's like. He says, you. You're sleeping with your brother's wife. And somebody started going, Jerry, (laughs) Jerry. He said, said, "You're, you're, you're sleeping with your brother's wife. He goes, no, 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 no. It's even gone further than that. You are married to your brother's wife. And he goes, you're living in sin. And he starts talking about repenting. He was embarrassed. Greatly embarrassed. His wife, her name was Herodias. Now, <laughs> I'm not trying to judge anybody, but I don't care how hot she is. Herodias is a no-go. <laughs> I'd like for you to meet my wife, Herodias. No-go. Anyway, so he says, you, Herod." She was fired up. She was She was so mad. King Herod was very embarrassed and he he had no choice. He liked the preacher. He enjoyed listening to the preacher. But you just embarrassed me in front of everybody. You're going to have to get arrested for that. They arrest him. They put him in prison. It's interesting. Um, Shortly thereafter, um, it was the king's birthday. John's in prison. Now, when he has birthdays, it's not like the birthday I went to two days ago when, I brought, when I, my son went to a birthday party. It was at a bowling alley, and there was cupcakes. No. These birthdays were so extravagant. Wine, beer, I mean, everything. I mean, they were kegs. Everywhere. There were, people were getting tattoos and and parties and and just just everything is going on and and he's loving it. This is his birthday, or as I used to call it, birthday. Anyway, now it was time for the entertainment of the evening. He's sitting there and all of a sudden it gets real quiet. In Herodias' daughter, she comes out, young girl, and she begins to dance a seductive dance. We don't know what kind of dance it was. I'm guessing it wasn't the hokey pokey. Because, (laughs) anyway, so he comes out and she starts dancing. He gets caught up in this moment of lust. He gets caught up. No doubt he's drank way too much. Herodias is not in the room. She knows what's going on, but she's not in the room. She knows her daughter is giving him the dance of his life, but she's not in the room. He's sitting there, and he's watching this girl dance. He gets so caught up in the moment that he whispers into her ear, whatever you want. Up to half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. She freaks out. This is just a young girl. She leaves the room, and she goes and finds her mother. And she says, you are not going to believe this. The king told me I could have whatever I want up to half. 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 Usually when somebody takes half, it's like, ugh. This is, something bad happened. He's offering half. Did you hear what I said? Half. She goes, "Mama, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. What do I ask for?" She goes, "I know exactly what you need to ask for." She goes, "I am so sick and tired." of that preacher preaching about repentance. I don't want to hear repentance ever again. I can't stand his message. If I hear that message one more time, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is what you do. You tell King Herod to get that preacher's head off of his shoulders and lay it on a platter because I don't ever want to hear that message again. So she says, okay. She comes back and she's dancing and she's doing her thing. And she whispers into his ear. Now remember, he is fully, the Bible said that he was pleased with her dancing. Now that's an understatement. I'll give you half. And the Bible says that he was pleased. Okay, I'd say so. I, I looked up what pleased means because I'm thinking, surely pleased means something different. It, so I looked it up. You know what pleased means? Pleased means to lift and remove the anchor. He has... He listened to John the Baptist. He listened to the message of repentance. He listened to it. He enjoyed it. Now this dancing daughter comes all the way up on him. He's not even remembering the message. In fact, every anchor inside of him, he's lifted it up and tossed it out the window. He is fully engulfed in this moment and he's giving her a Did I tell you it was half? half. My goodness. So anyway, so he says half. So she says, I don't want to hear John the Baptist ever again. I want his head. The Bible says that he was sad, but he already promised so he takes off John the Baptist's head. Why is that so important? Because the message of repentance was never going to be shouted by him again. And now King Herod does not have to hear the cry of repentance ever again. Herodias doesn't have to hear about repentance ever again. They don't have to hear the message of repentance ever again. See, there's this cry. that What I love about living in today's world versus way back then is we have the Holy Spirit among the earth. We have the Holy Spirit around us. And so We don't have to rely on a preacher to preach repentance because the Holy Spirit will whisper repentance. He'll whisper it to you. How many of you have ever done something or said something, my hand's up, and I haven't even finished my sentence yet, where you feel, oh, I shouldn't have did that. Anyone? Uh, Presley, raise your hand. Uh, There you go. Oh. Oh, I shouldn't have did that. I shouldn't have said that. See, that's the, the cry of, of repentance. And they said, I don't want to hear it anymore. I want you to just leave me alone. This, this dancing daughter, I used to be entertained and a little interested in the message of God, but but I don't want to hear it anymore. See, if any time if you ever raised your, if you raised your hand a moment ago and you said, yeah, I feel that on my heart, do you know what that means? That means that you have been apprehended. The, the Bible puts it this way in Philippians. That Paul said this, Oh, that I may apprehend that which has apprehended me. The word apprehend means to take hold of. Everybody say, take hold of. Paul is saying this, you have apprehended me you have taken a hold of me you have a hold of my heart i can't even say something that's bad without feeling bad if if i skip church i i start feeling bad if if i start thinking about something that you don't want me thinking about i start feeling bad you have apprehended me you have gotten a hold of me you have a you have a hold of my heart has anyone here ever tried to skip church for like six months And and you're doing really good trying to skip church, but you keep thinking about it. It's always in the back of your mind. Are you with me? It's just like, I'm just going to just be wide open bad. Who cares? Has anyone just been wide open bad? I'm just, just, God, you might not want to look right now. Have you ever planned on it? Uh, as soon as I see him, I'm going to rip him a new rear end. I'm a, you're going to get a piece of this. Uh, i got a can of whoop that's got, got your name on it. See, I can say that because I'm not going to be here this Sunday. You've got to clean that up. So it, it, when you plan on it, And then all of a sudden, you yell and you scream and you blow up and and you stay away for a year and a half and and you still feel that tug on your heart. What is that? You have been apprehended. He has a hold of you. And so, what Paul is saying is this wait a minute here. No fair, God. No fair. You've apprehended me, you've taken a hold of me, you know what I'm thinking. You know when when I sit down, you know when when I stand up, you've apprehended me, no fair. Oh, that I may apprehend that which has apprehended me. If you know what I'm thinking, then I want to know what you're thinking. If you got a hold of my heart, then I want to have a hold of your heart. I, oh, that I may apprehend that which has apprehended me. Does anyone here want to apprehend the one that's apprehended you? You know what I'm thinking. I want to know what you're thinking. You know my plans. I want to know your plans. Oh, that I may apprehend. And so King Herod, he, he, didn't, want to, he didn't want to be apprehended anymore. He didn't want to feel like he needed to repent anymore. He didn't want that message anymore. He didn't want it anymore. See, some people don't go to church anymore because they don't want to hear a preacher preach. But when you've been apprehended, you can skip church and you still feel the presence of God pulling on you. Are you with me? You've been apprehended. He keeps pulling on you. For those of you that have a, a wayward son or a wayward daughter, get good sleep at night. Stop worrying. They've been apprehended, they've been apprehended. (laughs) <laughs> don't, don't let the enemy tell you that they're never coming back and they're a prodigal and they're never coming no they've been apprehended they, 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 they're on it's like this if, if, I know if you've been fishing you know when you cast a line and all of a sudden uh, a bass just bites it yee and, and you know you, you set the hook and now you can just kind of chill a little bit the fish is <laughs> and you're like I got you I got you and you reel it in a little bit and he's running around trying to get it and you're like, I got you. The fish has been apprehended, I got you. You're running around, you're mine. I just want you to know, your son, your daughter, they've been apprehended. They're running around, like they're, God's got them, God's got them. Look at the person next like to you and say, God's got them. God's got them, God's got them, they, they've, been, they've been apprehended. You've been apprehended. They're apprehended. Not everybody's been apprehended. But you have been apprehended and you've passed that along. You pass along your eye color and you pass along the sense of fear of God. It's still in their head. And so King Herod, he he wasn't apprehended. The biggest problem that King Herod had is is there's this term out there. It's called anodoni. Yeah, anhedonia. Anhedonia. let me give you the definition of it. It's the inability to experience pressure, uh, pleasure rather, from activities usually found enjoyable. It's a medical term. There's a lot of people that suffer from a disease. It's not a physical disease. It's an emotional, mental one. It's called anhedonia. Which means I used to experience pleasure doing that, but now I don't. There's three specific types of anhedonia that are most popular. Number one is sexual anhedonia. There once was a day where a person experienced great enjoyment from a sexual relationship. But now they don't at all. What happened? Anadoni. You no longer experience enjoyment in that area. There's social Anadonai, which means that you have friends and you have acquaintances, but you no longer connect. Does anybody know somebody where they just can't connect to people for whatever reason? It's a social Anadonai. Get this. The third one is very perplexing. There's music, anhedonia, where there once was a day a person could listen to music, and enjoy music, and now a person with musical anhedonia they no longer enjoy music. They just keep the music off. And you know what I thought about Pastor Brian, where people who have worship anhedonia. Where there once was a day where they would worship with their whole heart and now it just bores the mess out of them. It's Anadoni. This King Herod had an Anadoni. He owned everything, but it wasn't enough. And now this dancing daughter comes up. Just at the right time, the exact same time he's listening to a preacher, this dancing daughter comes up. I've already hit this point, so I'm not going to digress to hit it again. But the more you listen to God, the more a dancing daughter will come into your life. So all of a sudden, this dancing daughter comes up at the right time. And she says, I want John the Baptist's head so that we'll never hear the voice of repentance again. There's three points I want to share with you. Anytime a dancing daughter an opportunity for you to sin comes into your life, just remember three things. Number one, that the dance has a cost. You know, um, I I, I talked a, a little bit about this once before at Celebration Church, and I had this gentleman meet me in the lobby, and he said, you know, on my 18th birthday, I went to a strip club. While I was there, this, I got invited to by this dancer, and I went over here into this private room, and when it was over, she told me how much the dance cost. He goes, when she told me how much the dance cost, I almost coughed up a basketball because I didn't think it was going to be that much. Can I just take a sidebar and say that the cost is always more than what you anticipate it being? You don't determine the cost of the dance. The dancer determines the cost of the dance. King Herod did not determine the cost of the dance. The girl determined the cost of the dance. And so he said to the girl, he goes, I don't want to pay you that. He was in the strip club. He goes, I don't want to pay you that. She goes, oh, you're going to pay me what I'm telling you you're going to pay me. He said, no. He runs out and he tells his buddies, let's get out of here and let's get out right now. They get out into the parking lot and there's these four big guys come walking out with the dance. Sir, this is a true story. She says, "That's him. They walked up to the car and tapped a pistol on the window. Clink, 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 clink. Get out. And they said, "Is this the guy?" They pulled back the hammer of the revolver and said, "We think you owe this girl some money." He was not going to fight that fight, reached into his pocket and paid the price. You don't determine the price of the dance. The dancer determines the price of the dance. You and I do not know what we are going to lose when we start dancing with the dancer. We don't know what we're gonna lose. You and I are human beings. We may think we could back up and weigh it out. If I do this, I may lose that. Oh, if that's the case, I think I'll, I'll risk it. Let me just remind us all, We don't determine the cost of the dance. Can I just tell you, if you have a dancer in your life, if there is something secret in your life that instead of coming at the beginning and saying, oh, I expect... Expect God to do great things and I'm going to pursue him with all my heart. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Well, what's he going to give you? I don't know, but he's got a lot of good stuff. And he promised he's going to give me something. So I'm going to keep worshiping him. And when you stop doing this and start paying attention to the dancer. And you got a private dance going on. A private dance. See, a private dance is when you start entertaining options other than God without other people knowing it. Yeah. See, if you look at your husband and you think, I think I see a way to leave him and make it look righteous, you're listening to a dancer. When you sneak on the internet, you're listening to a dancer. When you're going places in your imagination without anybody knowing, you're listening to a dancer. And when you no longer feel bad, and you no longer feel a compulsing desire to repent, you have taken the head off John the Baptist. And now you have taken the head off John the Baptist, and now you think repenting is a bunch of emotionalism for somebody else. And now you no longer even think about it. It doesn't even cross your mind anymore. Repenting never crosses your mind. And so you know John the Baptist's head is off when you can treat people any way you want to, and you don't feel bad because it's their fault they had it coming. And, and your eyes can look at whatever it wants to look at. And your tongue can say whatever your tongue wants to say. There's no governance of your words. And you no longer feel bad anymore about anything. You have taken the head off John the Baptist. You don't feel bad anymore. You can talk bad about people. You cannot worship. You can, you, just anything spiritual, anything. You've killed him. You've taken it off. But there's a cost. There's a cost. The first thing I want to say is that the dance has a cost. The second thing I want to say is this. The dance can be stopped. King Herod could have said, Get out! He could have said, Stop! Stop, stop, stop! Stop the music! This girl, get her out! He could have said, get out. My buddy who was at the club, he could have just stood up and said, well, this has gone way too far. I'm out. He could have stopped the dance. And if they would have stopped the dance, if King Herod would have stopped the dance, if my buddy would have stopped the dance, they wouldn't have had to pay the dancer. Let me just tell you, if there is a dancer in your life and you stop it, See, in Revelations chapter 2, verse 21, it speaks of a place, no, I'm sorry, a space of grace where God backs up and says, you know it, I know it, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Oh my! It's got to stop, and we can ignore it. I don't want to. I don't want to stop it. 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 God, is there any way I can love you and keep doing this at the same time? Come on, God, please! Come on, God, please, please, please! Oh God, please! You got quiet on me. Is it only me? To, let me just. Okay, you know what? Let me hit pause. Anyone see the movie Gladiator? Anyone see the movie Gladiator? All right, there's this scene where Russell Crowe is is underneath this thing and he's about to come out and and fight all these soldiers, okay? So let me try to describe it really good for those of you that have never seen the movie. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to pray for you because it's a must-see. So the movie, the director of the movie pull the scene out of the movie. Because before Russell Crowe came into this huge coliseum to fight these soldiers, what was supposed to happen, they actually filmed it and then cut it. What was supposed to happen was this Christian family was supposed to come in the center of the Colosseum. Because this is what used to happen in those days. To warm the crowd up. To get everybody yelling and hooping and hollering. To get warmed up. They would put a Christian family in the middle. They would release these tigers and lions. To come kill this Christian family. And everybody would get all excited for the big show. And so uh, the, 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 the last name, the director, his last name was Scott. And he said this. He goes, I pulled it out. And and the scene was this father and his wife and he had two children standing there and the the shot was from from the back. This lion came up right behind him to land on the father and as soon as the lion was in the air, the the, the scene cut and went over to Russell Crowe. And they asked him, why did you cut that scene out? And he said this, he goes, the... The way they treated Christians back then was so bad that I didn't feel like I was giving it its proper due justice. I felt like I was minimizing it, so I just didn't even want to try at all. Do you know why they would kill Christians in those days? It wasn't because they believed in Jesus, that was not the issue. The issue was, is that they only thought that Jesus was the only way. That was the issue. So in other words, if they would have said, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's fine. But keep on talking. If they would have said, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but you can also get to heaven believe in that too and you can also get to heaven living that way too if they would have been a little bit more open-minded they wouldn't have killed them the problem was is it's not that they were narrow-minded they were arrow-minded They said, no, Jesus Christ is the only way. Well, I'm going to kill you if you say there's no other way. Well, then let the beast out. Because Jesus Christ is the only way. I'm sorry, I can't be open-minded. I'm arrow-minded. I'm laser-focused. There's no other discussion. You cannot live that way and go there. You can't do it. So, let me just say, when you back up, And you feel the Holy Spirit calling you saying, stop the dance. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it, 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 stop it. it. I want to tell you, if you stop the dance now, you won't have to pay the price. I'm hesitant to talk about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. My mother left my dad after 15 years of marriage. My dad was a preacher just like me. He still is. and he's pastors an awesome church in Humble, but that's the redemption side of the story. But my mom was the pastor's wife who felt like it was okay for her to be really close friends with my dad's best friend. It was okay. I wish somebody would have come along and said, Arlene, stop the dance. Stop the dance. You've gone there in your head, but my gosh, just stop now. Just stop. I know. Let me just say this to you. I know you may not have all the answers, but don't go all the way down that dark road of doubt. Don't go too far down there. Pull it back and say, I don't know everything, but what I do know is enough to keep on going. I, don't, pull that back. Watch out. The, those, those imaginations is how hell rings the doorbell. When your mind starts going down that line, you're just laying there on your pillow. You can't sleep. Your eyes are closed. Your mind starts going down there. Hell has just stepped in the room. You know who's in your room by watching what you're thinking about. That's why the Bible says, cast down. Those evil imaginations, get it out, get it out. Remove and replace, remove and replace. I don't care what you do to so you, and think about whatever you want to think. Think about the Texas Aggies, for all I care. But stop thinking about that. Remove, replace. Don't let your mind go down that road. Stop that dancer now. Sometimes we have an appetite for things that are sinful, and we love it. I distinctly remember being in high school on my hands and knees saying, dear God, I know you don't want me to do this, but I want you so bad. Help me, please help me. Help me, please help me. God hears those prayers. He hears you saying, That this dancer is too much. This dancer is sucking you in. You want to pursue God. You want to apprehend God. But there's this dancer that's sucking you in. But if you stop the dance. Point number three is there's a final cost to the dance. There's a payment. But there's another cost after the initial payment. I have to read it to you straight from Scripture. Otherwise, it'd be hard to digest. King Herod, after he killed John the Baptist, after he shut the mouth of repentance, he had an opportunity to meet Jesus. He's standing there. Jesus comes walking in. Now the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all these guys with all this garb, they they want to crucify him and they want King Herod to say, crucify him. But King Herod is actually excited about meeting Jesus. He's heard about him. He's excited to meet him. Watch what the Bible says. It's so fascinating. Luke chapter 23, verse 9 and 8. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus. Because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. It's like, I've been hearing that you open up eyes. I want to see it. Watch this. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. You've got to hear me say this. If you only hear one point tonight, hear this. This is the only place in Scripture from cover to cover where somebody addressed Jesus and Jesus would not talk back. When you kill the voice of repentance, He has nothing else to say to you. Nothing else. When you hear and feel that tug of repentance and you say, leave me alone, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. He has nothing else to say to you. Now, when you come back and you say, oh, dear God, help me, help me help me. What I love is the centurion. When he came up to Jesus and said, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus said, well, do you believe? And he said, well, I'm trying to believe. Has anyone ever been there? Come on. Has anyone ever been there? I'm trying to believe. He goes, your daughter's healed. See, Jesus loves the honesty. Jesus loves the transparency Jesus loves it when you go I am trying my best here he loves that but when you look at repentance and say shut up I don't want to hear it anymore. Pastor Brian, you can preach out of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. You can preach out of those. But stop preaching about repentance. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I believe that when I stand before God, everything's going to be okay. So just leave me alone. When you shut down repentance, Jesus has nothing else to talk to you about. And that's why when people would try to rebuke devils... Preachers tried to rebuke devils. Jesus backed up and said, Look, you've casted out demons in my name, and I'm telling you, I never knew you. Depart from me. You can preach all you want to, and you can wear real fancy suits, and you can memorize all the scriptures you want to, but if you can't listen to repentance, depart from me. I don't even know you. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Go. I want to implore you to make repentance your anthem. Your anthem. Your anthem. Jesus said it like this. If you want to know how to pray, oh, just sit down. Pull out a pen and paper. Peter, shut up. Pull out a pen and paper more of this, less that. Got it? Love you. Pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Are you listening? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done right here on earth, just like it is in heaven. Here it comes. Forgive us of our trespasses. We have to be in love with repentance. The Bible says this. Because of repentance, times of refreshing will come. Amen. Anytime I feel down and depressed, I'll just say, dear God, I'm sorry for my sins. And refreshing follows repentance. Hallelujah. But when you shut down repentance... Jesus had nothing else to say to you. I'm going to close with this last thought. I love, love, love that this whole weekend is called revival. I love that. And and this place is like full. And I love, Pastor Brian, this place is like full right now. If I were to have a service on a Saturday night, it'd be me and my wife. That's it. And here I am looking at a full sanctuary. And and why did you guys come here? Not to see a bald-headed Italian. I know that's not why you came. I live with me. I know that is not why you came. You can't. That is not why you came. I know you didn't come to see me preach it. Well, now he's a boy. He's not much to look at, but he's smart. So the reason why you came, correct me if I'm wrong, is because revival. Your pastor stood up here and said, expect something. Is that why you came? Because most of you don't even know who I am, nor do you care. Right? I love revival. If you're new to church and you're like, what is revival? Revival is a refreshing of passion. It's like, I'm so passionate about this. It's like, I love revival. There's a personal revival and there's a corporate revival. A personal revival is when you personally begin to have a refreshing moment with God. It doesn't involve anyone else, but everything Everything about you is consumed with the presence of God and the other things in life that are very important. You just know that if I passionately pursue God, everything else will fall into place. Because he said, if you seek me first, all those things, those things that you. uh, There are certain things that we need here that we can't take to heaven, but we still need them here. Like you need a Buick, praise God, okay? You need a car, you need a house, you need shoes, praise God. You need deodorant. You don't need it in heaven, but you need those things here, right? And he says, those things, I know you need those things. But if you just seek me first, I'll add those things. So when you have a personal revival, it's when you tell the dancer... And you get consumed and you have a personal revival. The best way I can describe this is is the guy in the Bible that had a personal revival was Jeremiah 20 verse nine. He said this, they told him to shut his fat mouth. He responded with this, I can't stop. If I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak his name, his word, watch this, Burns in my heart like fire. It's like fire in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. What do you say? This is a personal revival. This is when one guy, one one person, Jeremiah, he's like, look, I can't control everybody. I, I can't control you, can't control you, can't control it and that. But me, as for me, as for me, I am so done with this mundane relationship with God. Something has apprehended me and I'm not going to rest until I apprehend Him. And it's like fire in my bones. That's a personal revival. A corporate revival is something completely different. A corporate revival is when a congregation like this comes together and says, hey, you want to be like, you need this refreshing, passionate. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I do too. And and watch this. It happened a few times in the Bible. The first time, uh, it might not have been the first time, but it's it's the one that came to mind. It's in the Old Testament. The city of Nineveh, all of them, The whole city got passionate about God. Another time, it was right in the heart of Jerusalem. This is the second one I want to just mention. We call it the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people all got saved in the same day. Let's step out of the Bible. Let me give you a few more examples. I've studied this stuff till like four in the morning before with my eyes hurting as I stared at the computer searching, searching, searching. The Welsh revival in 1904 to 1905, it was only nine months long. A kid, 24 years old, got fired up and then other people got fired up. See, you teach what you know and reproduce who you are. And spirits reproduce spirits. Parents know that. Boy, where'd you learn that from school? It, spirits reproduce spirits. This boy got fired up. It, just, oh, it, it was in his bones. His, his name was Evan Roberts. And he came back and he shared it. And history says 100 thousand people got saved. It's a revival. Then there was the Azusa Street Revival. I studied this until my eyes were hurting. If my eyes could talk, it would say close me. (laughs) Azusa Street Revival 1906 to 1909. William Seymour from H-Town. From Houston, Texas. Went to Azusa Street. Watch this. Not 100,000 people were saved. 100,000 churches. And do you know how big the sanctuary was? You're not going to get this, Larry. Get this. The whole church was 2,400 square feet. The whole church was 2,400 square feet. They didn't even have a worship team. They had three services. Like, uh, we think we're pretty cool because we have three services on a Sunday. Whoopee. They had three services a day. The average attendance, the, the attendance of the church itself, the membership was like less than 500. But people from around the nation would come and stay for weeks. It was like this revolving door, and it spread throughout the country. The Azusa Street Revival. Then it was the Brownsville Revival. I was alive for this one. Does anyone remember this one? Brownsville Revival, 1996 to 1999. It was three years. Uh, long and, and the cool thing was, is I was, on, I was friends with somebody that was on staff there, so I didn't have to stand in line to get in. Now, some of you might be saying, what do you mean, line? Yes. It was like getting into a football game. The line was all the way down to the beach. It was around the corner, around Shipley's Donuts. It was so long. When you get in there, there was, it was unbelievable. This is a corporate revival. But there's this guy named Dr. J. Edwin Orr. Write it down and go look him up. Dr. J. Edwin Orr studied revivals, studied everything about revivals. Does anyone here know that name, J. Edwin Orr? Look it up. Studied them, studied them, studied them, studied them. And you know what he realized is that there was a common thread that ran through all revivals. Whether it goes back to Nineveh, whether it was in the Upper Room, whether it was the Welsh Revival, the Azusa Street Revival, the Brownsville Revival, there was one common thread. And he says this in his biography. It wasn't hooping and hollering. It was wailing and crying. It feels like judgment day where people are crying out for repentance. Amen. Revival is when people come before God and they say, i'm so sorry I want the dancing daughter out and I want you in i I want you in uh, I, I want to apprehend uh, I, I i don't I, I don't even have the words to say what i want to say i i just i just want you to know I'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm oh god i'm sorry and The first stage of revival is repentance. And rejoicing follows repentance. And so often we try to skip repentance and go straight to rejoicing. And that's not how it works. we got to come before the Lord and say, I have been taking myself way too serious. Do you want to hear the prayer that I prayed right before I walked up here? Before I left my house, I said, oh dear God, don't let me embarrass you. Don't let me come up here and act like some polished preacher that waxes eloquent and come and entertain people like they're at some comedy show. Don't let me embarrass you. Let me be your mouthpiece that says, the dancer's got to go, it's gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. I'm sorry for acting like I am so prim and proper and I am so smooth and eloquent and everything in my life is just so perfect. Here's the reality, I'm starving for you. I am a dying person looking alive. I miss you, I miss you. I am like a deer that pants after water. I miss you and i'm sorry for everything you're my king you're my lord forgive me if there's only one thing you ever 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 give me let it be your blood and wash me clean because we can fake this thing how many of you have gone to church long enough to fake it Have we become the people that we don't even like? The people that act like we're on fire. But really, we're as cold as can be. What I've realized is cool Christians are just cold hearts. Let's all stand to our feet.